0: know that I spend a whole lot of time with small children. Mom mentioned that we run a small home daycare, so I spend most of my days with, or a lot of my days, with a three-year-old and a six-month-old, and then I teach cradle roll. I've taught it for years. I've told the women at Eastside, I really don't want to hog these babies. If somebody else wants to teach cradle roll, they can, but until there is somebody else who wants to fight me for it, I've got it. but so I spend a lot of time reading children's books. So and since I introduced the last lesson with the children's story, I guess you're not going to be surprised that the second lesson we're also going to begin with looking at a, a popular children's story. But have you heard of the Emperor's New Clothes? Remember that story? I'll we'll just kind of paraphrase the beginning part of it. But remember in that story, you have the 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 grand emperor who loves beautiful things, right? And he has everything his heart Can desire anything money can buy he's got it well one day two crafty con artists come to him and say we have devised something new that you have never seen before it's a new kind of material and it's the most beautiful exquisite material ever known to mankind and this material has a unique property because it can only be seen it's only visible To those who are intelligent and competent. And to those who are ignorant and incompetent, it appears invisible. They're pretty crafty, weren't they? (laughs) Well, sadly, the emperor falls for this hoax and says, Well, sure, I I need a suit like that. Make me one. So they leave the the palace, and after feigning all this hard work, the two so-called tailors come back to the kingdom with a pretty hanger and say, Here it is. We did it. And, of course, when the emperor looks and can obviously only see the hanger, right, he has this moment of panic. Like, ah, wait a minute. This means I'm ignorant and incompetent because I don't see anything. But his pride gets in the way, and he doesn't want to admit to that. So he just says, oh, yes, it's beautiful. And all of his royal advisors who have also heard about, that, about this quality of this material Well, they feel the same way. We can't admit, let anybody else know that we're ignorant and incompetent. So they all just start praising how beautiful the suit is. And they talk themselves up into such a frenzy, trying to outdo each other in their compliments, that they actually come up with the idea that they think is a good idea that the emperor put on this suit and parade through the whole kingdom to let everybody just see just how beautiful it really is. And of course, word has spread to the townspeople about this so-called material that's a judge of one's competence and intelligence. So sure enough, the emperor puts on, so to speak, his new suit and parades through the kingdom. And as he parades through the kingdom and the royal procession is going by, the townspeople are lined up on the sides of the road, and they're all cheering and praising the emperor how beautiful the suit is, how great he looks because no one wants to say that they're ignorant or incompetent, right? But let me read you the ending of the story. It says, A child, however, who had no important job and could see things only as his eyes showed them to him. Don't you love children? They'll say anything. About that. <laughs> he went up to the carriage. The emperor is naked, he said. And his father reprimanded him, saying, running after him, trying to catch him. Don't talk nonsense, he grabbed his child and took him away. But the boy's remark, which had been heard by the bystanders, was repeated over and over again until everyone cried, The boy is right. The emperor is naked. It's true. Well, the emperor realized that the people were right but could not admit to that. He thought it better to continue the procession under the illusion that anyone who couldn't see his clothes was either ignorant or incompetent and he stood stiffly on his carriage while behind him a page held up his imaginary mantle. Well you know that's an outrageous fictional children's story obviously but I think it serves as a very good reminder of a very real truth and that is in regard to modesty and of course a host of other issues our human minds are very subject to outside influence aren't, aren't they you know it's interesting I did a lot of research in preparing for this lesson and we don 't have time to go into to everything but I, I looked into the the history of modesty in our country you know you think about our country was originally founded upon Christian principles right that's what we 're trying to get back to but It's interesting to look at the standards of modesty from the beginning of our country to where we are now, and you see a drastic change. You see that our standards of modesty have loosened as our country has just drifted farther and farther away from God's word. We don't have time to go into all the history, like I said, of of modesty in our country, but I think this this one example is is very interesting and kind of eye-opening. Do you know who the first woman was who ever wore a one-piece bathing suit in public in America? Her name was Annette Kellerman, and uh, sadly, this woman had no regard for modesty. She actually, and I could tell you more about her life that we don't have time to go into, but sadly, she had not been taught about God's word, and she was, I think this probably says it more than anything, but she was the first actress to appear in a nude scene okay so she had no regard for modesty she was a vaudeville actress and she was working in boston on revere beach and apparently her little dressing room was right on right there on the beach so one day she decided to come out in her one-piece bathing suit now by one-piece bathing suit, it's not what we would picture today um, as a one-piece bathing suit exactly um, it was form-fitting and tight just like today's one-piece bathing suits it had sleeves and it came down to about mid-thigh level it was very form-fitting obviously and according to the reports I read when she stepped out onto the beach in that in that costume or bathing costume people began pointing women started screaming and parents hurried to cover their children's eyes and the people all shouted shame on you and the woman was actually arrested The police officer came and took her to jail. You know, we find that surprising with what we see in our current society, right? You know, but thankfully, God doesn't leave us as Christian women just to kind of drift with the rising and falling standards of modesty in the society that we happen to live in. But through his word, his mirror, through both direct teaching and through biblical principles— We can look to his word to know whether we are dressing and behaving modestly according to God's standards. And that leads us to our first point today, and that is that modesty can be measured. Modesty can be measured. Tell Dad I did alliteration in the second lesson too, okay? (laughs) But modesty can be measured, not by an ungodly world, but again, by God's word. You know, we looked at the very beginning of God's word in the book of Genesis when God himself, we see, was the very first clothing designer, wasn't he? And we see in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 that God referred to Adam and Eve as being naked. Even though we know from the verse 7 that Adam and Eve weren't completely nude, were they? Remember what they had done? They had sewn themselves, f- sewn fig leaves together And created, uh, made themselves coverings or aprons, we might say. So they had made an attempt to cover themselves up, hadn't they? But God said they were what? Naked. And it says in verse 21 the Lord God then made tunics of skin and clothed them. So we see that God's definition of nakedness is not just nudity, is it? Sometimes we, in today's society, I think we kind of use those words interchangeably. If you're naked, you're nude, you're you're nude, you're naked. But that's not how God refers to it, is it? And later, in God's word, we see God giving the sewing pattern, we might call, call it, for the Levitical priest's garments. And we're given key information here as to exactly what does God call nakedness. Since we know from the account of Adam and Eve, it's not just nudity. In Exodus 28, God gave the instructions for the priest's garments under the Mosaical Law. And let's read in verse 42 there. Verse 42 tells us, And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Now, of course, we're not arguing today that we, living, as Christians living under the new covenant, are required to wear these priestly garments. But what we can see in God's instructions to the Levitical priests is what God calls nakedness. You know, we remind ourselves, too, Second Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture, and that would include the Old Testament, wouldn't it? All Scripture is profitable, is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine or teaching. So we can look to the Old Testament for teaching. Later on in the Old Testament, too, we see God pronouncing his judgment against the wicked nation, wicked kingdom of Babylon, In Isaiah 47, verse 1, when God pronounces this judgment, it's interesting how he words it. He says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind mill. Uncover thy locks, make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers." Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. So again, here we see God a second time referring to the uncovering of the thigh as what he calls nakedness, right? If you look at the, the, the term thigh in the dictionary, it defines it as that part of the body that extends from the waist to the knee, just like we saw with the pattern for the Levitical priest garments. So when we look at what God in his word says about nakedness what would God say about that 1908 swimsuit that Annette Kellerman stepped out into public wearing would he say she was naked she exposed her thigh didn't she and she exposed a lot more too because of how form fitting her suit was but we see that God's definition of nakedness would rule out that 1907 or 1908 swimsuit it would rule out the modern bathing suit for sure wouldn't it whether it be a one-piece, a two-piece, a tankini, or whatever the new terms are for all these different versions that have come about. But then we ask ourselves, okay, well, what about clothing for our upper bodies, though? If God wants us to have our thighs covered, does that mean that as long as we are covered to the knee, that our clothing can be skin tight? As long as it comes to our knees? And here's where we have to look to principles that we find in God's Word. You know, think about it like this. Can you find a passage in God's word that says, "Thou shall not use cocaine?" Can you find it? No. But we know from numerous biblical principles, don't we, that God would be against that kind of drug use. In a similar matter or manner, I should say, God provides us with principles in his word that can guide us in choosing our clothing so that we can know that we are modest in God's eyes. We know, and we can be kind of frank here, we're just women. (laughs) I'm not good at frankness, I'm working on this. (laughs) Some of the things I have to talk about today are a little, okay, (laughs) but you just have to say what you have to say, don't you? But we know that God designed men to be visually stimulated by a woman's body. That's how God made men. He made a man to be stimulated visually by his wife's body, right? By his wife's body. But if we as women expose our bodies to men other than our husbands, we can obviously trigger lustful desires in them for women that are not their wives. And Jesus says that is a lust, that is, it's lust and it is sinful. Remember what he said, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's serious, isn't it? You know, we think about David. Remember what David was called? A man after God's own heart, right? If David, a man after God's own heart, could be moved to commit fornication and then murder through a chain of events, all sparked by what? Lust. Then certainly this is an issue even for the most faithful of Christian men. Recently I read an article entitled, What do men think when ladies dress immodestly? And I appreciate the, the candid uh, response that this, this Christian preacher gave. He makes an excellent point. And again, we have to remind ourselves, we don't think like men. That's probably the most profound statement I'll make today, right? You didn't know that, did you? We don't think like men. (laughs) We weren't designed to think like men. But he makes an excellent point, and he says this. Modesty is not only defined by covering oneself, but if the shape of the breasts, buttocks, legs, etc., if the shape is clearly revealed, this elicits desire in the male. You know, I thought it was interesting in researching for this lesson. I looked at the, the Federal Bureau of Prisons website. I, I imagine most people are not familiar with the Federal Bureau of Prisons website. I hope you haven't had cause to have to look at that. But it's interesting. If you look at the Federal Bureau of Prisons website, of course, this is the, uh, the code for all of our federal prisons in our country. They actually have a visiting, a visiting room dress code. Okay, a visiting room dress code. And keep in mind now, these are not Christians who have put together this dress code. This is, these are people of the world. But let me just read to you the, the dress code. It says, visiting room dress code. Wear clothing that is appropriate for a large gathering of men, women, and young children. Wearing inappropriate clothing, such as provocative or revealing clothes, may result in your being denied visitation. Obviously, they don't need inmates to be having issues, do they? For example, you will not be admitted if you wear the following. Revealing shorts, sundresses, halter tops, bathing suits, see-through garments of any type, crop tops, low-cut blouses or dresses, leotards, spandex, obviously for the, the tightness, Mini skirts, backless tops, sleeveless garments, skirts two inches or more above the knee, dresses or skirts with a high-cut split in the back, front, or side. You know, and when I read that, I thought, you know, it's sad to think, but if you're like me, in some congregations of the Lord's Church, at times I've seen women come to worship God in clothing that would not allow them to visit a federal prison. And that's sad. You know, perhaps we've all heard women say something to the effect of, well, you know, if a man looks at me in lust, that's his problem. He's just got a dirty mind. Well, what you're really saying if you say that, your, your basic argument is, well, it's his problem. It's not my problem. But think about it this way. You know what? A fellow Christian's problem is my problem. Modesty is part of my mission as a Christian woman. It's part of my responsibility to my fellow Christians, to my Christian brothers. You remember what Philippians 2, 3, and 4 tells us? It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests. Of others. Matthew 18, 6 through 9 also warns us of, of causing offense or a, putting a cause of stumbling in the way of someone, a fellow Christian. Here we read, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, Jesus said, to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. Now, the ESV renders this, woe to the world for temptations to sin. For temptations must come, but listen to this next phrase, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Did you catch that? You know, the Apostle Paul realized the tremendous seriousness of causing a fellow Christian to sin. In Romans 14, 13, he said, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Of course, Christian men are responsible for keeping their minds pure, aren't they? We're not saying that. But what we see in Matthew 18 and other verses is that God... Will also hold us as women accountable if we dress immodestly and contribute to their stumbling and their sin. You know, there's a, a song that we have. I looked it up so I know which number it is in your songbook, but it's um, number two seventy-seven. I'm not going to sing to you. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but it's called "Yield Not to Temptation." But it's interesting if you if you read just the first few lines to this song. It says, Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus, he'll carry you through. But you know, think about that. How can we as Christian women sing that song and try to edify our sisters and our brothers in Christ if we're showing hints of cleavage? or we're wearing tight clothes that are causing our poor Christian brethren to struggle for pure minds as they try to worship God. You know, sometimes it seems to me that we show more respect to fellow women who are on a diet. You know, if you have a friend who's on a diet, would you ever think about inviting that friend to come over to your house so that when she got there on the kitchen table, along with the coffee you offer her, there was chocolate cake and chocolate chip cookies and donuts, and I'm getting hungry. Can you tell? <laughs> okay, so many thoughts are coming into my head. But, you know, as women, we would never think to do that, would we? Because that would be just sabotage. That would be awful. We would think, oh, that's awful. You'd never think to do that. But, you know, we think about it, dieting is not a scriptural matter, is it, thankfully? It's not a scriptural matter. You know, but how much more should we show respect to our brothers in Christ who are not trying to keep their waistlines trim, but are trying to keep their very souls pure before God? I like the way one writer expressed this thought. I just thought this was so well worded. He said, By dressing immodestly in the presence of men, it's like lighting a candle among gunpowder gunpowder doesn't have a choice to explode or not right that's just how what it that's how it's made right and we don't want to put our christian brothers in that kind of situation where they have to struggle with that he says we want to be lights to the world not candles among gunpowder and i think that's very true you know in some women and sadly even some christian women i've heard say well okay yes that that is true but, you know, I just can't find anything these days when I go shopping. There's, you just can't find anything that, that's modest or that fits God's standards. Or some will say, well, yeah, but, I mean, you can't expect me not to wear a bathing suit like everybody else. I'll just try to wear one that covers up more than what most people are wearing. But, you know, God expects us, no matter what, to do what's right, doesn't he? And we are told that the world will not understand. Titus 2.14 and 1 Peter 4.4 remind us that God expects us to be a special people that the world will think are strange. The Hebrews writer in chapter 11 that we mentioned in our first lesson tells of people who, in order to be faithful to God, faced some horrible, horrible things. This is one I have a hard time with, too, but says the Hebrew writers tells us that there were those who were stoned who were sawn in two who were slain with the sword and who wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute afflicted tormented of whom the world was not worthy you think about what some people have gone through in order to be faithful to God you know and I think about too you know as a wife and a mother you think about how much harder to me and I know people in the past to be faithful have gone through this, but you think about fine torture me, but don't make me watch my child be tortured or put to death, or make my, me watch my husband be tortured or put to death. But that's what Christian women have gone through in the past in order to be faithful. You know, so how is, how can we as Christian women today say, "I can't make the sacrifice of of this or that"? You know, how much comparatively speaking, how minor is the issue? Of sometimes, yes, having to increase our shopping time because it takes a while to find some, you know, the modest clothes that are out there. They just, it just takes some looking. And to oftentimes have to decrease our swimming opportunities in order to protect the souls of our Christian brethren and to be faithful to what God says is modesty. Secondly, let's think about how modesty relates to marriage how modesty relates to marriage. A few years ago, I went to a uh, youth gathering at one of our Christian universities, and they had a, like an uh, open forum, I guess you would call it, where they gathered all the, the women and girls into the main auditorium. And they had it set up where there was a panel of, I think there were four, four women, and the women raged, uh, ranged in age from college age up to senior citizen. And the way they had it set up was kind of utilizing modern technology. They had it set up so that the teenagers primarily could could text a question that could be answered by the panel of speakers um, or could email a question or whatever. So the questions would come in, and, the, and then someone from the panel or multiple people, multiple people from the panel would answer the question. Well, I had been there for the weekend, and and to be honest, I had seen a real epidemic of tight jeans and tight t-shirts. And, and sadly, even on the Sunday that we had worship, there were uh, girls wearing these little short skirts to worship. And so when I, when this question came in, and it was a very short question that one of the teen girls, I assume, sent in, it was three words. And the question was, what about modesty? Very, very brief question. But when I heard this question come in, I thought, yes, we need this one. <laughs> and uh, Anyway, the first panel member to respond to the question, though, was the woman who I think was probably about my age. And the first response she gave, the question came in, what about modesty? And she immediately took the microphone to her uh, mouth and said, it stinks. And then she just laughed. And to be honest, I don't remember what she said after that because I was just sort of taken aback by that. And I was disappointed to hear that because... I realize that sometimes, especially teenage girls, probably feel like modesty stinks because it keeps you from being sometimes able to wear some of the things that are the latest fashion or maybe keeps, prevents you from being popular or fitting in with what some of your friends are wearing. But please, please listen to me, teenagers. Modesty does not stink. It does not stink. You know, it's just like with all the other the rules and the guidelines God has given us in his mirror they're they're all given to us not just for our ultimate approval by God, approval by God in the day of judgment which of course is 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 huge but those guidelines given to us by our very creator are also given to us to make us happy now to make us happier now he's our creator he knows what works best for us i know that some some will accuse proponents of biblical modesty of being anti-sex or sexually repressed, and that kind of thing. But in actuality, we're the ones who are defending the instructions given by the creator of sex, right? You know, modesty serves to protect and promote marriage. Just like we said earlier, a beautiful relationship that is so special and so sacred, it's, it's compared to Christ's union with his bride, the church, I like the way author Dana Gress, she she wrote a book called Secret Keeper, The Delicate Power of Modesty. And she makes some biblically sound points in her book. And I think this statement that she made is just beautifully worded. She says, God's intended purpose for you as a carefully crafted masterpiece is to intoxicate one man, your spouse, with the fullest extent of your beauty. Isn't that nicely worded? You know, and some will say, I've heard some say, well, you know, by teaching, by being worried about women covering up their bodies and worrying about our young girls covering up their bodies and being modest, you're really just kind of vilifying the body. You're, making, you're teaching them that their bodies are sources of evil and lust. No, just the opposite, actually. The way I think about it, it's like this. Does anybody say that you're degrading? a holiday present, when you take that present at the holidays that you, that you have gotten for someone special and you wrap it up, don't you, beautifully, and you keep it all wrapped up so that its contents are hidden to the one for, for whom it's intended until the appropriate time, right? Does it degrade that present to do that to it? No, it makes it even more special, doesn't it? We know sex in the world's view is shallow, that's the society we're living in. But God's view of sex is sacred and special. So the parts of the body that stimulate sexual desire, God says, are to be reserved only for your spouse. And you know, the world's view of sex is shallow, isn't it? It misses the whole meaning and the, the true meaning of romance and love and commitment. And this is what we've got to teach, we've got to teach our children who are growing up in a society like this, teach our children and our grandchildren how God views sex as sacred and special between a husband and wife, because they're really growing up in a sex-obsessed society, aren't they, sadly? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Yes. You know, this next point, um, I probably would not have included in my lesson had I not just heard about it multiple times, and I just couldn't Really couldn't believe it. So I thought it was very relevant. I have heard not once but multiple times of occasions where women in the Lord's church have held bachelor bachel I can't say that word. Try again. Bachelorette parties. And I'm I'm not talking about bachelorette parties where you just give a, a girl about to get married pretty lingerie but I'm talking about where women in the Lord's Church have held bachelorette parties for girls about to get married where they have played vulgar, vulgar games regarding sex and put up vulgar images for decorations and done all kinds of things. As much as I've had to say in this lesson that is a little bit embarrassing, I can't tell you about those things (laughs) because to be honest, I'm just too embarrassed to describe them even to a group of fellow women. But you know, We know that the Bible instructs older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands, right? So there's a place, obviously, for older women to instruct younger women regarding sex. There's nothing wrong with that. But these kind of parties that engage in vulgar references to sex are just endorsing and embracing the world's shallow view of sex. We have to remember what Ephesians 5, 3 and 4 tells us. There we read, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. So we have to be sure that our actions fit us as Christians just as well as our modest clothing fits us, right? So let's not let the world make shallow something that really is so very sacred and special in the eyes of God. Also, in a different sense, but also relating to to marriage and modesty. You know, as we have seen, when it comes to marriage, between a husband and wife, there is no such thing as immodesty, is there, in the private bedroom of marriage. Our bodies were designed to be enjoyed by our spouses, and that's a beautiful thing. But here's something to think about. When we walk down the aisle to exchange vows with that special man that we want to spend the rest of our lives with, we are not, on our wedding day, as we walk down that aisle, we are not yet in the private bedroom of marriage, are we? You know, and it's sad to me and disappointing to see so many of our beautiful, beautiful, sweet Christian girls these days wearing immodest wedding dresses. And I realize there are fewer and fewer wedding dresses on the market that would conform to God's standards of modesty. I think there's a niche. I know there's a niche out there for somebody who is a good seamstress (laughs) to start a company and, and start putting out more modest wedding dresses. You can find them, but it's not easy. But, you know, often what we see these days it's become very popular that the wedding dresses just bypass the neck and shoulders altogether and just begin at the chest level. So as I was looking, researching for this lesson, I did some research just to see, what does the world say? Is is that that a stumbling block for men? Because again, we don't think like men, do we? We may think something just looks beautiful, but we need to know, how's that going to affect our Christian brethren? And I started looking and examining. Of course, if we go back to the Federal Bureau of Prisons dress code, remember they said no sleeveless garments, backless tops, halter tops, or low-cut blouses. But then I thought, well, okay, let, let me look and see about the idea of the, the uh, no, no uh, shoulder covering just beginning at the chest that you often see these days. And I came across a Cosmopolitan article. Now, if you've seen Cosmopolitan in your grocery store checkout line, uh, it's awful, isn't it? One time I saw one of my kids reach for the Cosmopolitan magazine, and I was just about to come unglued. And then I saw, I forget which one it was, she took it and and turned it around backward and put it back so nobody could see that nasty picture. I thought, good for you. <laughs> um, but you know, and I apologize again for the crude wording of this Cosmopolitan article. But I think it's very revealing and it helps us as women understand what what is difficult for men. This Cosmopolitan article is enti- "Excuse me," <clears throat> is entitled, "How to Get Hit on All the Time." And again, we know that Cosmopolitan obviously has not a hint of concern for modesty. But here's what the online article advised. And again, I apologize for the magazine's crude wording. They say, For maximum man magnetism, show off your shoulders with a strapless dress or sleeveless shirt. Bare shoulders plant one thought in a dude's brain, boobs. And as long as you're working your shoulders, shrug them forward ever so slightly. But I think that's kind of eye-opening to us. We're getting so used to seeing that kind of thing, but we really need to stop and think about what that can do to our Christian brothers on our wedding day. Just like on all other days of our lives, we've got to remember not to be trans, not to be conformed to the world, but remember to be transformed by the Word of God. Well, let's look at, at for a few moments about how modesty includes the media modesty includes the media recently i saw where a sweet young preacher that i know posted on facebook uh, he said sad to say but my feet and i get quite acquainted during the summertime because i can rarely look up in public because of the rampant immodesty uh, he wrote that you know the beginning of the summertime i think it was and you know it, it is sad but true that immodesty is all around us in our society we can't escape all of it but, you know, we can choose not to watch movies or read books or magazines that contain immodesty, can't we? Remember what Romans one thirty two says? Paul reminds us there through inspiration, of course. He, remember there, he lists all sorts of immorality, okay, all sorts of immorality. And then listen to the, the, the closing phrase there. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You see what he's saying there? It's not just a matter of you doing it, but if you're taking pleasure from others who do that. You know, I think we have to work so hard in the society that we're living in not to send mixed messages to our kids and our grandkids. You know, do we do we teach our little girls about the importance of 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 dressing modestly, and then we buy them buy them these immodestly dressed Barbie dolls? I cannot stand. I I won't get onto my high horse about Barbie dolls. But, but have you seen the vet, veterinarian Barbie and her little little tiny thing? You know, dresses totally immodestly. What are we saying to our daughters when we say, "Oh, yeah, modesty is very important"? Now here's a here's an immodestly dressed doll to play with. You know, we got, we have to think about some of those mixed messages that we are we inadvertently sending sometimes, I think. You know, with our boys, do we teach them how important it is for them to, ha- to have pure minds? You know, it's a struggle, but you've got to work. I, I have a friend who who uh, told her son, especially walking through the mall, it was difficult for, for her son, because he said, you know, there are just pictures everywhere in the mall. You pass Victoria's Secret, and you pass all these signs, and it's just awful. And so she said, well, well son... You, you know, you can't help but see that, but you just bounce your eyes off. When you see it, you just bounce off. And, and her son told me one time, he's like, I'm just bouncing all the time. Bounce, 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 bounce. <laughs> you know? I think going to the mall makes him motion sick, you know. But, but, you know, do we teach our sons the importance of having pure minds, but then take them to public beaches and water parks that are just littered with immodesty? Are we sending mixed messages? You know, I looked, too, at, um, at movies. I was curious to see about some, some relatively current movies. And, you know, I think when you start looking at some of the current movies, it's surprising how much immodesty is in some of our movies. And in movies that the world says are not so bad. You know, you cannot go by the world's ratings, can you? I looked at one movie uh, called Iron Man 3. I never saw this movie. But I looked, there's an excellent source, by the way, it's called PluggedIn.com, PluggedIn.com, and it is a fantastic source for mothers, grandmothers, if you're wondering about taking your child to see a certain movie, um, you can preview the content of that movie by going to PluggedIn.com, and it will tell you any objectionable content that may be in that movie, and so you... You have really no excuse for ever getting caught off guard at a movie because now, through modern technology, that is one good use of modern technology, isn't it? Because you can see, uh, you can preview the potential content of, or the content of potential entertainment choices. But I went to pluggedin.com and looked just to see what kind of sexual content was in Iron Man 3, which is considered by the world to be a PG 13 movie. And let me just read you a synopsis of the sexual content in Iron Man 3. And again, I apologize for the crudeness of it. Tony and Pepper, apparently they're the two main characters. Tony and Pepper are now officially an item, and the two live together. We see them kiss and share a bed. We hear Pepper invite Tony to take a shower with her. Lots of women strut about in bikinis and other skin-bearing tops. We see Pepper in her sports bra. Tony asks why she doesn't dress like that around the house. Other women wear just bras and panties. A man is in the company of two women, both of whom wear negligees and share his bed. Various sexual and anatomical illusions are made. And there were more things that were mentioned, but I thought, okay, that's enough. That's enough to be a very sobering reminder of the, the immodesty that's rampant in popular movies, even those that aren't rated that way by the world. But, you know, before we leave our discussion of the media, let's think about the media, too, and how modesty relates to the media in a different sense. You know, we're living in a society with all this new social media, right? We have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and I don't know, things I probably don't know about, (laughs) but all kinds of social media, don't we? And we know that sadly, a lot of these social media serve as vehicles for women to post immodest, seductive-looking pictures of themselves, right? If you've been on Facebook, I don't have a Facebook myself. Cassidy is sweet enough to leave hers open for me so that I can kind of keep up with what's going on with our mutual friends. But, um, you know, it's sad, some of the pictures that you see women post sometimes, and sometimes, sadly, even Christian women. I know I saw saw a a post one time around the holidays that said, um, Santa saw your picture on Facebook. You're getting clothes and a Bible for Christmas and and i thought yes <laughs> you know um and we just have to be so careful don't we we've got to teach our 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 girls about that but you know in another sense too even you know there are, i've seen christian young women not post immodest pictures of themselves in terms of the amount of clothing they have on but they just post countless pictures of themselves the selfies right Countless ones, or and they brag about their accomplishments. Or I've even seen where a couple of Christian young girls, uh, I think it was on Instagram, posted pictures of themselves, and the hashtag was single and pretty. You know, but we have to remind ourselves and our daughters what does First Peter five five tell us? There we read, be clothed with humility, right? Humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth, giveth grace to the humble. You know it's interesting that even those in the world are starting to realize some of the potential dangers of the social media, particularly upon our young people. Have you heard of uh, narcissism? You pro- probably know that word. I always say, that since it's fairly early on a Saturday morning, we'll review that definition because that's not a word we use on a regular basis. But narcissism is defined by Merriam-Webster, as an excessive interest in oneself and one's physical appearance. And in the field of psychology in particular, it is defined as extreme selfishness with a grandiose view of one's own talents and a craving for admiration. To me, narcissism sounds like the complete opposite of modesty, don't you think? And one secular article I read had this to say, some of our favorite social media sites serve as a vehicle to self-promote. Researchers explored the hypothesis that social media reflects and amplifies growing levels of narcissism within our culture. In a study published online in Computers and Human Behavior, the authors believe Facebook is a mirror and Twitter is a megaphone for the cultural Obsession with self. So let's remind ourselves and our daughters of what 1 Peter five five reminds us, and that is our modest clothing must also include putting on humility, right? Not being obsessed with ourselves. Finally, very quickly, we're going to look at modesty as also a mindset. Modesty is a mindset. You know, you may have heard the phrase, Modest is hottest. That's a, a phrase coined by some in the denominational world. And I've heard of you know, some in the Lord's Church, some young girls who have taken part in that campaign, you know, modest is hottest. And let me be very clear. I very much appreciate uh, and respect that concern for modesty. But again, I think we have to be careful to make sure that we're defining modesty the way God would define modesty. You know, when we talk about being hot, whether by being, whether by hot we're meaning sexy, as some mean when they say that, or whether we mean being popular and fashionable and fitting in, you know, both of those ideas go against the notion of all the verses that we've looked at today, don't they? You know, modesty goes beyond the amount of clothing we have on, but also extends to the image we're conveying. You know, I was on, I think I was on eBay, and uh, some little ad popped up, and I noticed it said, sexy heels, you know, sexy heels. We know some shoes have a sexy image, don't they? The world acknowledges that. That's why they advertise them that way, Sexy, sexy heels. You know, even shoes can be immodest if they convey an image that a Christian woman shouldn't be conveying, right? Looking pretty and looking sexy are two totally different things. The world may say that it's being modest while at the same time being hot, but a Christian woman following the mirror of God's word is going to seek to obey God and protect the souls of her Christian brethren and never, never strive for the sexy or the hot image. Well, you remember the story that we began our lesson with, right? The emperor's new clothes. I love that little boy at the end of the story. You know, the little boy who had the courage, the honesty to say, the emperor is naked. You know, he had the honesty to just say what it was, and he had the courage to step forward and say it. I mean, you think about that. That little fella would have been surrounded by people bigger than him, Stronger than him, more important than him. But he just stepped forward and said, what was the truth? And because he did, the bystanders came to their senses, didn't they? And they said, that little boy is right. The emperor is naked. You know, and I think we as Christian women and living in the society that we're living in today have got to strive hard to be like that little boy. You know, we have to have the honesty and the courage despite what the world around us is shouting, so to speak, is okay, and despite the, pa- the mistakes that we have may have made in the past. It was, I think we all have. I know I have. But we've got to, to despite all those things, be, have the honest, open mind and be willing to look into the mirror of God's word and see what God says is modest, and then have the courage to apply that to our lives and have the courage to lovingly Teach others what God's Word says about modesty. I looked at several uh, versions of the Emperor's New Clothes when I was preparing this lesson, and most of the versions ended with the little boy being reprimanded and the emperor goes about his his way with the you know the page carrying the imaginary mantle and all that. But I did see one version that had a different ending that was really neat, and in this version, the little boy steps forward and he tells the emperor he cries out the emperor is naked and the emperor hears him and the emperor comes to his senses and he is so thankful that that little boy had the honesty and the courage to step forward and say something that he calls that little boy over to his carriage takes him with him back to the palace and promotes him to a royal position in the kingdom isn't that neat And the beautiful thing is that we as Christian women, if we apply God's standards of modesty to our clothing and our conduct, we can write the true story to the endings of our lives, can't we? So that one day, not any earthly emperor, but the king of kings will say to us, Well done, modest and faithful soul. Now you wear forever the exquisite heavenly robes I've prepared just for you. Thank you so much.